Hello, everybody. Welcome to Branding Bud Live, the live stream that's 100% THC, 0% WTF. Every week we bring business people together to talk about the business of cannabis. I'm David Palaszczuk, the founder of Branding Bud Consulting Group and the author of Branding Bud, The Commercialization of Cannabis, the first book on cannabis branding. And I'm here with my co-host, Adriana Hemans, a marketing expert with over eight years in cannabis. Hey, Adriana, how are you today? Hey, David. Hey. I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. I am stoked. This is our first show of 2023. We're kicking it off the right way. We are. I want to say too, like I see a bunch of people already commenting in the chat and some familiar faces, including Jay. What's up, Jay? Hey, Jay. Uh, Brian and Lee, thanks for joining. Thanks for commenting. One thing that you might have guessed from the first couple minutes of this show is that we are very much into interactivity. Uh, we're here building a community. It's not just about me and David up here talking. It's about what we're all building together. So please feel free to drop your questions, comments in the chat. Let us know where you are. Let us know what you're up to today. Let us know if you've been hit by any of these crazy winter storms or earthquakes like we had in Humboldt a couple of days ago again. Uh, yeah, just want to know what's what's up with the community. So we're friendly here. Feel free to say hi. That's right. <clears throat> we got people from California and Atlanta and Kentucky and New Jersey. Wow. All right. Right on. Awesome. Happy New Year, everybody. Well, we've got a great first show for the year. Our guest is Maha Hawk, and we are going to be chatting about lots of hot topics, and they're all surrounding cannabis consumption lounges. Um, Maha is an expert. Uh, she is a consultant specifically focused on uh, cannabis consumption lounges, although she's done and has been around uh, cannabis for quite some time, and we'll introduce her in a moment. But before we do, we're going to be chatting with her about some really cool things, and specifically the current state of consumption lounges, what laws affect consumption lounges, which are different in each state, so we'll be talking through that a little bit. Do consumption lounges pose a threat to the bar industry? And perhaps is there a collaboration, uh, you know, out in the future between, um, between the consumption lounges and bars? Um, and then, of course, we're going to talk about, maybe even most importantly, is how does branding play a role in all of this? And, um, and we'll be talking through that all with Maha. So that said, um, let's bring out Maha. We'll talk a little bit about her. Um, and as we're bringing her out, I'm just going to make uh, I'm going to introduce uh, Maha and I'm going to read here so I get it all right. Um, Maha, our guest today, was recently the Director of Retail Marketing at Statehouse Holdings and the Director of Retail Strategy at Green Thumb Industries. Maha sits on the board of the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce and the LA Chapter of Normal. And she's also an instructor at Oaksterdam University. Welcome, Maha. Let's bring her out. Come on up, Maha. Hi, everyone. Happy New Year. Hi, hey. Maha. So excited. awesome to see you. Welcome. Thanks for having me. The sun is finally coming out. <laughs> oh, nice. Maha's just on the street for me. Oh, we got a ton of rain today. A lot of rain in LA. We are not used to this. <laughs> I want to call out that we have someone in our audience who is the owner of Missouri's first cannabis lounge, Brennan England. Ooh. Welcome. And welcome to some new faces, Guy, Lee, Dennis, Ron. Uh, welcome, everyone. We're excited to have you all here to, to chat about consumption lounges. So, Maha, let's kick it off. I caught 
part of your Twitch stream last night. Hi, Maha, which was so much fun. Uh, <laughs> when you're not doing Twitch streams, when you're not helping clients and advising them on the best way to run a lounge, open a lounge, what, what are you up to? What are you passionate about? Oh, man. So, oh, well, of course, I'm passionate about weed, <laughs> consuming it, but also working on it. Um, I, you know, I'm in LA. So whatever that helps uh, the LA cannabis market thrive, I'm involved in it, whether it's going to cannabis events, supporting lounges in West Hollywood, um, or even just going to my local shop and buying some of my favorite products. Um, very passionate about weed in general. Um, but you know, you mentioned my Twitch, I've been doing that a lot and I have a segment called Dabby Hours. So I love concentrates. That's definitely something uh, I, am, I can say I'm passionate about. I love hash, I love concentrates, and I'm very excited to see how it plays out in some markets because there's, there's gonna be some interesting laws that I think we're gonna, we're gonna uh, dig into deeper. Absolutely. And so like, could we, I mean, just for the, you know, to kind of level set, what states are consum cannabis consumption lounges currently in? Ooh, so as of right now, there are 10 states that have uh, regulations that allow social consumption. Um, so that's Alaska, California, Colorado, Illinois, Massachusetts, Michigan, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, and Nevada. And this is adult use social consumption. Um, but of those 10 states, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York, and Nevada have passed language for it, uh, but they have yet to issue any of uh, those licenses. Um, Nevada did actually have one, and it was on Native American territory. Uh, but at the moment, uh, there's only lounges open in about half of those 10. So like, you know, we're, we're getting there, hopefully all 10. And we just we just read in the comments, there's there's one in Missouri. So of course, there's a couple states that have uh, different types of lounges, either through a medical program or through a private uh, uh, model, like a members only model. Uh, but as it concerns regulation, uh, there's 10 states. I thought you were going to run out of fingers as you were going through. <laughs> she start counting on her toes. <laughs> I hope it turns into that. Yes. We'll need a couple people to count them all soon, hopefully. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. Or rather, oh, just like Ron said in the chat. So yes, Nevada did issue their licenses, but none of them have been open just yet. Uh, still, still, I think, you know, they're working on uh, either build out or making sure they're locking in property but yes nevada did have one it was on native american territory they just issued out licenses uh they have 40 new new lounges that are going to be opening up so that's exciting so yeah. i don't have enough fingers and toes to count all the lounges that are going to open in nevada <laughs> i might need your help we're gonna we're gonna help you count them all um and, and also let's talk about like how these experiences differ from state to state right oh I mean, man they're governed by different laws, obviously. They have different setups. So what is the experience like in Nevada, for example, versus California? So the states I just listed have their own and unique set of regulations regarding consumption venues. For example, California and Illinois lounges don't have restrictions on bringing your own bud, but Nevada does. So that's going to change the consumer experience quite a bit. You know, I can 
bring my personal stash into a local lounge in West Hollywood and not have to worry about it as much as I would have if I'm walking into a Nevada lounge. So I can't bring my own products there. I have to depend on uh, uh, on the menu offerings at that lounge. And quite frankly, you know, bringing your own cannabis is, is not always the safest uh, option, but it does appease the consumer. So we're going to see a lot of a lot of that, like what states are going to allow consumers to have more freedom and what uh, and what states aren't. So um, I think that's the biggest difference that I have um, that I've read and uh, anticipate on experiencing. Um, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to be too happy if I'm not going to be able to bring my personal stash. Uh, <laughs> but I also understand there's a safety uh, concern, a liability concern. Um, if you allow consumers to bring anything and everything. But how can we always control that? You know, you, you go into a bar or a club, people bring all sorts of things, you know, <laughs> but- It might uh, already be in their system when they come in the door. Exactly. So with, uh, with, with, cons uh, with different states um, putting restrictions on bringing your own butt or not, uh, I feel like that's going to definitely have different consumer experiences. Um, I like the BYOB model, but, you know, it's not always the safest. So something to consider if you are trying to open up your own establishment. Are you trying to have an extra layer of security uh, or are you trying to uh, uh, save yourself from any, you know, li uh, liability concerns? So it's it's a balancing act, uh, but we'll see. We'll see how it's executed, especially in Nevada. You know, you got people carrying all sorts of things. So. You know, we'll we'll see how lounges are going to control that. I'm sure they're going to have to do some sort of check-in process where I'm not going to say like search you completely, but they're probably going to say you can't bring your own products. If something looks unfamiliar, we're going to throw it away sort mm -hmm. of uh, practice. Well, you know, it seems to me if you think about it, um, a restaurant, you don't bring your own food to a bar. You don't bring your own alcohol to um you know, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, you, you know, yeah, that's the question which I'm getting to, which is how could lounges monetize? And we'll talk about the business model later, but but I mean, right off the bat, it, it almost sounds more like a members club than it does a consumption lounge or a members club that allows consumption rather than a, initially what I thought of as a consumption lounge. And again, my preconceived notions of what a consumption lounge is, oh, it's like a bar, but it's for cannabis, right? But, but again, that's a preconceived notion. Maybe it's not at all like that, you know? And, yeah. and so that kind of gets us to the question of what's, what's a, you know, what's the experience in, in a consumption lounge? And again, we just spoke about that versus the laws, but um, you know, um, how different is, uh, is, is, you know, a cannabis consumption lounge one from the other and what can you do? And, would be would one be considered more of a member uh, members club versus uh, versus uh, you know a consumption lounge? Yeah, mm -hmm. most definitely. So you know, at most spots like or at most lounges, it's like a dispensary that allows you to consume at. Uh, at some, it's like a bar or hookah lounge. But as with any type of establishment, there are a few that stand out. Um, one example uh, that re most recently opened was the Woods. They have a, a very beautiful 
uh, beautiful uh, jungle oasis type of uh, interior design, uh, which we can get into a little later. But what we've got out here um, on your on the slide on your screen right now, uh, there is the OG Cannabis Cafe on the top left, which has since closed, but is reopening as the High Times Cannabis Cafe. Um, and that one is 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 definitely a uh, you know restaurant bar type uh, experience because they also have an adjacent bar, alcohol bar. So although they are partitioned off the smoking area and the drinking area, you can access both substances under one roof essentially. So that itself has its own unique experience compared to Nuwu, which is uh, right next to it, the image right next to it. Uh, mm -hmm. It is temporarily closed, uh, but the Nuwu tasting room um, is right next to the dispensary. So you have a, uh, a full you know, dispensary experience, customer journey, and then you walk to the far right and then you see the tasting room. Um, so you have to go through the entire dispensary to get to uh the uh to the consumption space uh that is very similar to artistry which i don't think i see on here but artistry it is uh, a, a two three level building um the first floor is your dispensary and you don't have to go through the entire dispensary to get to the lounge but you know you do have to check in with the dispensary first and then check in again at the lounge so you know all of them have their own different processes for getting checked in for um, for, uh, I guess, going through the entire establishment, you know, what does the establishment offer? Like all three that I just mentioned are very different from one another, but they all have the ultimate uh, uh, common denominator of you can smoke weed here. Uh, mm -hmm. But Lowell Cafe or what was previously known as the OG Cannabis Cafe, you have a bar right next to it. New Wu tasting room, you have to go through the entire dispensary to access it. Artistry, you got to check in two times. First at the dispensary, second at the lounge. So all three, very different. Uh, we also have Rise Mundelein here, which I got to work on. Um, and once again, it's right next to the dispensary. So if anything, most of the lounges that uh, we see here on uh, up on the screen are, uh, I wouldn't want to say dependent, but they coexist with their, uh, with their dispensary. So if anything, it's more of a retail strategy to have a lounge or a tasting room or a spot that you can consume what you just bought uh, at the dispensary. But um, for example, at Artistry, you're finding a lot of patrons buy products from downstairs, the dispensary, as opposed to ordering from the lounge specific menu upstairs. Um, there's not really a way to restrict that or control that. You know, it's all legal. You're buying legal product at a legal establishment, consuming it legally at a social consumption venue, but um, it's, you know, how are you going to make people buy from the spe la uh, lounge specific menu as opposed to the retail menu when prices are the same and you have more options on your dispensary menu as opposed to the lounge menu. So uh, Nevada, I think, is going to be tackling this in a much different way. Um, they just issued out 40 licenses and some of those are independent lounge license types. So they are not associated or attached to a retailer. So that's going to be very interesting to see. And, um, and this kind of answers uh, your previous question, Adriana, is, is uh, you know, how is this going to differ state to state? Nevada, you're going to have independent, lounge, uh, uh, independent lounges that are not uh, associated with a retailer. Um, so that's going to be very interesting to see. Nuwu here, 
it is a dispensary and has a tasting room. So we are hopefully going to see some differences uh, between lounges in Nevada. I think that's going to be the first market where we see the different types of lounges. What does better? What uh, what doesn't do better? I feel like all of them are going to do great in their own way. But mm -hmm. um, a lot of lounges right now are associated, attached, adjacent, what have you, to their uh, retail dispensary. It sounds like there's a lot of different experiences that people can expect when they go in there. We talked about, you know, being able to purchase at the lounge, being able to purchase at the retail section, being able to bring in your own. Um, I'm curious, like, since we're here talking about marketing and branding, of course, what is the draw? So if you're a, a consumer and you're like, hmm, I want to go to a consumption lounge, what would what experience, in your opinion, are people hoping to have there? Ooh, so, <laughs> so it's like, I, I, well, every consumer has different expectations. And that's what I quickly realized working with some of these lounges is everyone has a different expectation. They either want uh, great service, like they want someone to roll a joint for them or to pack a bowl for them. Some just want a really good um, a variety, like, oh, I, I want to try products that I've never tried before. Uh, or they're the can of curious they don't or they they don't consume cannabis regularly and or want a safe spot to consume cannabis in so you're you're seeing an array of people an array of expectations and to meet them all can be a challenge and navigating all of those uh can can be a challenge but i would say those are the top 3 that i've seen is what services can i have like i need help rolling my joint i need help packing my bowl can you do that for me um, and you know, I want to make sure I have all the products that I, uh, all the product variety that I can choose from. I don't want this menu to be lacking. I want to make sure I see everything and anything, uh, available, uh, at, on this menu, just like you would at a dispensary. I'm not going to go to a dispensary that only has like, you know, 10 SKUs. <laughs> so, um, and then the, you know, last part being is like, am I going to have a safe, uh, consumption experience? I think that's been a lot of uh, that's that's been a request for a lot of the can of curious is am I going to be safe here? If anything happens, will 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 you server be there for me? Um, that is a request uh, that I've heard often is, you know, can like if anything happens to me, do you know what to do? Uh, and that is that is often uh, a concern and something that I urge uh, not only lounge operators, but dispensary operators to teach their staff is how do you mitigate overconsumption or how do you help a patron uh, who is having any issues with consuming cannabis or is having any adverse effects? How do you help? Uh, how do you help anyone who's going through that? Or how do you even give advice on that? Because at dispensaries, you get questions like that, too. A butt tender may uh, have to answer, you know, what do you do in the case of overconsumption? Mm -hmm. um, or if you're not feeling it, if you're not feeling enough of your your cannabis product, how do you address that? How do you uh, titrate and dose, self-titrate and dose to get the, um, the to get the effect, the, the, the desired effect? So um, that's I think that's that's what folks are looking for in an experience is variety, safety and customer service. You know, and we know that edibles don't work on everyone, so that's a whole. Oh other yeah. <laughs> earlier, uh, you know, it's, David, go ahead. I'm sorry. Earlier, you had mentioned um, as you were, as we were talking through the different lounges, <clears throat> and what you were talking about, it almost reminded me of like you know museums and like the exit through the gift shop strategy, right? Um, 
But it's interesting. Now we're talking about safety. Now we're talking about, you know, um, bud tenders and or waiters or waitresses or people packing bowls or, or, you know, explaining about titration or explaining about dosing. And it just brings up so many more issues. So, I mean, just in the, in the two topics we've just spoke about, we just span such a wide gap in terms of what a consumption, a cannabis consumption owner even needs to think about. I mean, it's, it's pretty wild that, you know, yes, you're thinking about the experience and, and how to keep that experience within, within the rails, right? Not going off the road uh, for people. And, and if they do, um, what do you do? And I once had a personal experience many years ago in college, I was in Amsterdam and uh, you, you know, the next thing I knew I was on the floor and somebody was making me drink lemon juice and, you know, um, and picking me up. So I know that can happen to anybody at any time. And uh, you know, especially when you're trying new things, um, you know, or, or sessioning over a longer period of time, there's more likelihood that you'll consume more. And, uh, and those are things, you know, that we need to talk about. So just, Coming up, I mean, we should we should just at least mention some of the debates that's that are coming up, which you know is dosage dosage regulation, driving while well under the influence, odor control, and secondhand smoke. You know, some people some people don't want to smoke. Some people are only into beverages and edibles. Do you separate? Is there a smoking room versus the edibles and beverages room? So, are we looking at this, you know, based on form factor as well? Um, so it's just interesting. And then finally, which I don't think is really, uh, brought up is equity of access mm. permits of underrepresented people, right? You know, because when you think about what a license costs, what, what, whether to own a building, rent a building, to build out a lounge, that's some heavy capital. And, um, and then especially with perhaps 280E coming in around, you know, involved in it. Uh, in, in some of the tax laws, that's that's some heavy, heavy, um, heavy lifting. So um, we should get into those things. But, Let's do it. Dosing yeah. regs. Let's start it off with that. That's the first. That's the first topic. So, so dosing regulation. Um, although dosing regulation is necessary, it also is not a one size fits all situation. <laughs> Just like you said, you know, someone uh, may only want to consume one product type because they either have a very low tolerance and someone may have a huge through the roof tolerance. So one size does not fit all, but it will be interesting to see how single use, oops, single use products will make an appearance in the Nevada market. Um, I do think this will be a challenge on the production side, like overall costs, but uh, the products itself will definitely be successful among consumers because that will be offered. Uh, but um, in, uh, I guess, in specificity, single-use cannabis products in Nevada are limited to no more than 3.5 grams, which is an eighth of usable cannabis uh, under the regulations with extracted inhalable cannabis products such as vaping or dabbing products are limited to 300 milligrams or 0.3 grams of THC. Um, 
all single-use products with more than one gram of usable cannabis and all extracted inhalables uh, must carry uh, written potency warnings. Um, individual servings of ready-to-consume edible products are capped at 10 milligrams of uh, THC, which is pretty standard across uh, a lot of other markets. Um, so it's, you know, we're, 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 we're going to see how this single serve 0.3 concentrated uh 0.3 grams of concentrated product is going to serve that uh that consumer uh there's going to be a lot of r&d associated with that as well um does that encourage more purchases uh if anything does that uh satisfy a uh, a heavy consumer probably not but you know, that's going to probably promote some additional sales for the lounges. So that's a uh, revenue uh, strategy to think of. Uh, but in general, I always urge consumption venues, lounges to offer nano emulsified ingestible products in lieu of traditionally infused edibles and beverages. Uh, so nanotech improves the delivery of active THC and thus provides a quicker onset compared to traditional ingestibles that take around two hours to hit. Um, so, you know, with, with that being said, um, a lot of the lounges I work with, I try to implement a, you know, 90 minute table limit, just like you would experience at a restaurant. And if you are giving the, the patron, the customer, uh, or rather the consumer enough time to sober up, if they take an edible, for example, like the moment they get, well, that's not going to happen. They're not going to consume the moment they get there. But let's say they consume 15 minutes into their 90 minutes, that edible or ingestible would hit them in another 15 or 20 so minutes. And then hopefully by the time the end of their 90 minute table limit comes, they should not feel as high. But if if they are high still, it is up to the server, the staff of the lounge to assess that consumer and make sure that they are ready to drive. So that's a that's that's an additional step uh, of service that uh, lounge servers have to incorporate is assessing the uh, the, the, the the sober uh, level of the uh of the consumer so that can be hard sometimes not everyone is the same not one not one size fits all situation so it's a challenge um and this is a big concern that uh local city council officials have so this kind of goes into the second point which is you know driving while high um this is the number one question that uh local officials ask uh, if there is a proposal for a consumption lounge or or a cannabis event is how are the consumers, the patrons getting home safely? Um, how, how are they, you know, transporting? Are they driving themselves? If so, what do you do? The best part about weed <laughs> compared to alcohol is you can sober up a little quicker than you can with alcohol. With alcohol, it, you know, takes far longer uh, for your liver, liver to uh, metabolize um, uh, blood alcohol content as opposed to THC. So there's a benefit uh, to that, but it is something that we urge our staff to make sure uh, that their patron is ready to leave, is able to drive, or has a safe way 
uh, of going to their next destination. So there's a lot of um, um, there's a lot of initiatives where there may be an Uber an, an Uber code or a Lyft code that is off uh, offered to uh, the patrons. Like, oh, you get a discount if you get your ride, um, you know, within a five mile radius. So I've I have found that a lot of consumers appreciate that. So maybe for a little bit they will go do some shopping at a nearby store or a mall and then come back and then you know make their way home. So uh, want to make sure that people are driving safely, uh, leaving the the establishment safely. Um, some lounges have even signs like you know don't drive, it's not worth it. Wait, you know, thirty more minutes if needed. Yeah, so, go shopping um, at the place next door. That's got to be great for retailers who are in the neighborhood. Exactly. I'm sure if, people, if there's a lot of foot traffic of people coming in who are like, this looks so cool. I have to buy this. I just came from the lounge next door. Yeah, yeah. You're shopping uh, a cannabis lounge. Which also quickly begs the question, um, what sort of limitations are there in terms of uh, where these consumption lounges are, right? Because, you know, I think, Adriana, to your point, just a moment ago, I'm thinking like, okay, cool, there's some great shopping right next door. Um, but more often than not, I'm guessing these places are going to be limited in terms of where they could be. And just just before you answer that, Maha, it, it seems, you know, a lot of people have commented on, uh, you know, the rideshare service, and that just makes total sense, which just leads me back to my concept a long time ago, which was uh, an idea called Duber. Uh, where people look in the cars as, as you, you know, or consume in the cars wherever they were going. So this brings me full, full circle, full circle. Oh, um, man. It reminds me of uh, Hall of Flowers. Everyone was, was smoking in their Ubers and, like, the drivers didn't mind because they're like, oh, this is going to be our entire week. Same with Emerald Cup. Um, all the Ubers in Santa Rosa were quite used to it and ha and were equipped with a bunch of air fresheners. I even saw one uh, Uber had in um, had a had a very popular uh, brand that I've used at consumption lounges to uh, eliminate uh, eliminate odor. And I think that is the next uh, debate topic, if you don't mind me getting into odor control real quick. Yeah. Um, so uh, real quick odor control solutions, they exist. Um, and it doesn't need to be overcomplicated. There's air fresheners, there's attachments, there's, um, you know, you can slap on a solid carbon HIPAA filter on your existing HVAC system. There's many solutions that exist. If you Google enough or if you come to me and you want recommendations, I'm always happy to share. Um, but there's there's even candles that have um, that have uh, uh, properties that eliminate uh, cannabis specific odor. So there's a lot of solutions out there. Um, and does not need to be overcomplicated. Um, and then I guess, uh, yeah, like I, I think our, the last, uh, or rather not the last, but the second to last debate point was secondhand smoke. Um, secondhand smoke is an issue uh, only in small spaces with poor, uh, with poor air circulation. Um, it is a requirement by the city to make sure both odor and air quality standards are met to be issued a license. Um, and that is also very dependent on your odor control solutions. Um, you know, you can uh, mitigate secondhand smoke if you have a great uh, filter slapped onto your HVAC system, have a solid HVAC system to begin with. Um, and then last debate point, and then we can, <laughs> I hope that's fine. So yeah. equity of access to consumption lounges, um, uh, consumption lounge permits for underrepresented people. So I love this question because I work with, um, I work under the social equity department in the city of Los Angeles. So the LA Department of Cannabis Regulations, uh, I, I, I work there. Um, 
and I help social equity um, licensees, applicants, licensees, and operators uh, with their businesses because you know they're given a license, but they're not given capital. They're not given any uh, guidance or advice. So I uh, I've been helping them out in the city of LA. City of LA doesn't have lounges. However, uh, Nevada issued. 10 licenses to consumption lounge licenses to social equity applicants. So I love that that it, there's a pathway for social equity in lounges. It's primarily been for other cannabis business license types. Uh, but Santa Ana is also city of Santa Ana in California. So Orange County is also doing something similar uh, by heading up a social equity development program and issuing out uh, uh, consumption lounge licenses during the year of 2023. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But um, I'm loving the uh, I'm loving how cities are incorporating consumption lounge license types under their social equity development programs. So I, I do foresee that uh, even in the city of LA. Maybe not yet, uh, but it'll happen. Very, uh, eh, it'll happen in maybe two or three years. <laughs> Always takes longer than they say, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so as we're talking about like what's happening in these lounges and what people are looking for and what we're we're solving all these issues that that have come up that like local uh, regulators are concerned about and local residents are concerned about. But let's talk about like the consumers themselves and let's throw a little demographic question on here. Like let's do our audience participation. Um, and it, our audience is super warmed up. I can tell, like I can see a ton of questions in the chat. I wish I had time to get to all of them because there's some amazing questions and ideas. I also love one I have to throw out that uh, Lee Thompson shared. He wants to bring flour into the lounge and make edibles there out of his own flour, which I think is an awesome idea. Uh, so yeah, everyone's warmed up. Let's go ahead and start the canna fact or canna fiction question which is 69% of cannabis consumers aged 18 to 24 prefer cannabis over alcohol. Is this canna fact or canna fiction? Take your best guess, drop it in the chat, and we will reveal the answer in about one minute <laughs> as we talk through it. Yeah, 18 to 24. So that's, that's, that's interesting. Um, so canna club, we saw this a lot there. So it for those who don't know what Canna Club is, it's a, a cannabis student organization, a nonprofit. I founded in 2018, and college students love weed. <laughs> I'm going to say that. Hey, they they love they love alcohol too. But um, you know, I can say from firsthand experience that cannabis is being used more often at frat parties than than beer. So <laughs> there was right. even a beer pong games being played with not beer, but with infused beverages. <laughs> well, times have changed since I was in college, for sure. It yeah. looks like we have about we have a lot of people guessing fact. I see one, two, three, four. I see seven facts and one um, fiction. Lena, That's interesting. Elena is swimming upstream. Um, well, uh, Maha, what are your thoughts? Do you think this is a, a fact or do you think- I, I think it's a fact. Like I saw it firsthand, um, you know, just on campus, we there was a wine club, there was a beer brewing club, but Canna Club, I would say, was way more popular than those clubs. <laughs> Cooler. <laughs> All right, well, it seems like the audience is, uh, is uh, in agreement with the exception of Elena, and, and I always appreciate someone that goes the opposite direction. So, yes. Dissenting opinions, welcome. 
Yes, bravo to you, Elena. All right, let's uh, let's take a look. Is it can of fact or can of fiction? Oh, <gasps> yes. Can of fact. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Our audience is super smart. Yes, indeed. Hey, um, there's college nights happening at lounges now. Mm -hmm. Used to be at nightclubs. Now it's at consumption lounges. <laughs> gonna have much healthier livers by the time they're my age. <laughs> Also, the 25 to 34-year-old segment uh, of cannabis consumers, 70% oh, wow. cannabis over alcohol. Uh, I should call out, too, that this stat is from New Frontier Data. Thank you very much for sharing this with us. Uh, really interesting study. Absolutely. You know, um, Maha, the one thing that always sort of, you know, we always kind of come back to is, you know, how does brand and and you know the function of brand play into not only cannabis but but now we're talking about cannabis consumption lounges how does how does brand play play a role here Ooh, so i, I was very excited to discuss this with y'all because y'all are you know marketing and branding professionals so um you know one of uh so lounges can identify with a particular experience or offering by having a solid brand and strong branding initiatives. Um, you know, for example, the, the Woods uh, in West Hollywood is owned and branded by a celebrity, Woody Harrelson. Um, and the experience is very luxurious. It's a jungle oasis theme. The interior was designed by the same designer uh, of Tao. Uh, which is a traditional establishment, not a cannabis establishment. So additionally, most lounges are depending on their dispensary brand to elevate their retail experience first. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I am hoping that there will be lounges that are, uh, you know, not depending on their, um, on their retail brand. So we, we, we do see this with artistry. They call it the studio lounge as opposed to artistry lounge. Uh, but in uh, Chicago, um, the lounge I got to work on, it was called, um, the dispensary was called Rise and the consumption lounge was called Rise Smoke Easy. So, you know, it's maintaining the same retail brand um, and, you know, it works, it, it works in some, uh, in some cities, but I think a city like West Hollywood, Las Vegas, you really have to step outside the box and, and, and brand yourself or brand the lounge uh, as the experience being offered. So we'll, you know, we, we, we remember, um, you know, we remember names like Delilah, you know, we, we, we think of Delilah as a very fancy restaurant, uh, you know, swanky experience in West Hollywood and Las Vegas, um, you know, but we have to, uh, we, we could potentially consider uh, branding um, strategies like that, you know, maybe just have one name, um, or rather have something called the woods that describes the place itself. But I think there's going to be a lot of creativity in the space. Um, I, I don't know what to expect in, in Vegas just yet. Nothing is open just yet from these new licenses that were just issued, but it's going to get crazy there. You know, there is a lounge that will be opening uh, that will emulate an adult entertainment space. So thinking oh, strip clubs, <laughs> but Very interesting. I, I wonder how a cannabis strip club will work uh, in comparison to a traditional strip club with liquor. So um, are there going to be higher tips or lower tips? <laughs> or, like, uh, you know, how is that going to play out? But, um, you know, adult entertainment is getting in, uh, is, is coming into the space. So that lounge in uh, particular is going to be branded uh, as such. So, 
very excited to see that. And I think branding is extremely important to set your uh, to set the lounges experience uh, offering um, and, you know, be able to convey what sort of experience they are offering to begin with. So I, it's going to be fun. It's going to be super fun to see what California and Nevada markets do. And of course, New York. But, you know, we'll see what New York does. They, they've had quite the slow start, but they did just have their first rec sale, which is awesome. So congrats to New York. It's, it's only forward from here. Uh, um, but is our last show. It was a special moment. Yeah, yeah. That's that's very fun. But I think California and Nevada are going to set the standards for branding a consumption lounge, especially with the entertainment uh, element. And of course, you know, one thing we did not talk about yet is like incorporating food and beverage. So, you know, when you're considering revenue streams, you know, uh, I know we didn't talk too much about that, but Food and beverage is going to play a huge role in being a service uh, being offered at these consumption lounges. And if you can brand your food alongside your, you know, your cannabis uh, offerings, then I'm I'm excited to see that. We'll see how that goes. Um, we already see supper clubs, uh, cannabis infused supper clubs, um, but having a stationary location is is i think a goal for a lot of these um a lot of the people who are hosting these supper clubs and that you know that in itself is a brand um you know branding it via food branding it via experience branding it via interior design uh and vibe there's so much potential for it and in branding is very important so i highly recommend checking out david's book here branding bud it's a really good book so <laughs> like yeah. I, I got. I had to slip that in, David. <laughs> a lot of branding questions to be solved. David is your guy for sure. Uh, before we wrap up, is it cool if we take one question from the audience? Let's go. Yeah. I love this one. So Tiona asked, "Are there any uh, that offer a tasting experience similar to a wine enoteca?" Ooh. So I. Uh, so this is this is. Uh, I guess another branding strategy. There's there's wineries that are looking to have a cannabis arm. So uh, one example I can share is a Sunstone Winery in Santa Barbara. They are looking to do a tasting room in the Funk Zone, which is downtown Santa Barbara. But they're also in the they're also in the works uh, for um, setting up cultivation and a dispensary, a cannabis dispensary. So there's going to be um, two aspects to it. So it's wine and weed. Um, and we do see other brands doing uh, similar initiatives in NorCal. Um, so there, there, there will be tasting rooms for sure. And wine brands are already looking to do so with cannabis. Um, so specifically to, uh, or in um, uh, specific to Sunstone, they have a wine tasting room already. They're going to just make the same same uh, vibe for cannabis that's been their experience uh, experiential um, um, offering they're going to carry that same standard that same practice from their wine business into cannabis so hopefully I'm going to get to work with them very soon too and that will be very exciting um, but they're not the only ones there will be several that do that and Nuwu they call themselves a tasting room although they didn't have flights uh, a setup like you'd see at a uh, winery or a brewery, um, I, I 
there's already lounges that do offer flights on a menu. Um, so uh, the Chicago lounge, for example, that uh, was called Rise, um, and that was part of uh, Green Thumb Industries. So GTI did have their own flower brand. They did have their own edible brands. Like they were, they're vertically integrated. So we did get to curate menu items that would be sort of like a tasting. So having one gram of each uh, strain that they had uh, under their uh, flower brand rhythm. So that was really fun to do. Um, and we're going to see this uh, across all different lounges that will open. Is They will probably have some sort of uh, brand partnership uh, that they do specific to that lounge and have a, um, a unique set of uh, offerings um, you know, for, that, uh, for that brand. So artistry, for example, again, they have a very good relationship with the brand 710 Labs. 710 Labs is extremely popular concentrate and hash brand, and they do uh, they they do um, limited releases uh, and exclusive drops at that lounge specifically. So there's going to be a lot of brand partnerships. Um, there's already tasting room concepts being built out by folks who've done traditional tasting rooms with beer and wine. So very excited about that and i'm i'm definitely gonna be reporting back and letting you know how the sunstone project works out oh i can't wait to hear about it like the just the cross promotional opportunities in general i'm like my head is spinning yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i also can't believe i'm saying that this is the end of our show this went by so freaking fast i can't even believe it we have like one minute left it always does. so much maha for bringing your expertise i feel like i got a crash course i feel like i just took consumption lounges 101 like <laughs> six month class in 45 minutes absolutely the the span of topics that we just touched upon in, in the last 45 minutes is you know like I said, we just touched upon them. There's so many things that really need to be worked out and thought through and, uh, you know, that makes it right for consumers, makes it right for the public, makes it right for um, everybody that wants a, a part to be a part of it. So um, thank you for sharing with us. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me here. This was this has been a great discussion. And sorry, we went a little bit over time. <laughs> Actually, we didn't. No You're right. <laughs> tell, us, tell us quickly where people could reach you. Yes. So, okay. Of course I'm on LinkedIn. I'm tagged here. I better be. Uh, but I'm on Instagram. I'm hi Maha on Instagram. Hi with an GH. And I'm also on Twitch. Um, so I do dabby hours. Um, it's usually very casual, very fun. Setting it up on the rig. I know I got a compliment on my rig. So if you want to see it in action, get <laughs> twitch.tv slash hi Maha. And then Instagram, I'm hi Maha. So hit me up with any questions. I love these. And I do discussions about lounges sometimes uh, for fun uh, during my dabby hour. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Maha. Oh, thank you, David. Thank you, Adriana. This has been fun. Branding bud. <laughs> Anytime. Wow. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of, of another week. It's crazy. And uh, we've got something great next week, too. Um, we'll be speaking with uh, Christina Aducci, who's the CEO and founder of House of Puff, a cannabis lifestyle brand out of New York City. And we'll be chatting about why women own cannabis brands. And we'll be asking that question, you know, and talking about why it's important. Uh, so that said, we're going to have a great conversation next week. Please join us. 
And um, if you've missed anything in the meantime or want to check out any of our previous episodes, you can always follow us on Branding Bud Live here on our YouTube channel, Branding Bud Live. And always check us out at brandingbud.com, cannabis's best kept secret. So thank you again. We're super excited to see you next week. All of the links are in the chat. Thank you, Adriana. Thank you, Maha. And thank you, everybody, for listening in. We really appreciate it. Have a great weekend, all. Happy New Year. Bye-bye.